greener on the other side. Caterpillar to a butterfly. Bye, bye, butterfly. It's green and growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Hope your day is starting off right and your Memorial Day weekend is full of fun. I'm away today, but every month I try to have Premier Tree Solutions on the show, chopmytree.com, and you bring some great tree health questions along when they're here. So listen again to their latest visit that was at the end of April, full of great advice. Jeff Roth from Premier Tree Solutions, the owner of chopmytree.com and certified arborist Rafael Santiago. Welcome back, guys. Hey, thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for you having know, us. We do this monthly visit, and I think it's so beneficial, um, hopefully for you all, but for the listeners and the callers as well, just to kind of pick your brains about what they're seeing in their landscape. And I think mm. when we spoke last month in March, we were talking about kind of the beginning of storm season, right? Yep. And uh, we're not out of the woods yet. Of course, certainly tornadoes this time of year in Georgia. Um, Raphael, what would just be some tried and true advice that you give to homeowners about just really being aware of the health of their trees and making sure that everything around their house is kind of structurally sound and safe. Sure. Well, first of all, you got to look out for the large trees, right? You're not going to be too concerned about a two-inch tree around the house. So <laughs> look out for the big trees. Look around them. See if you see any signs of decay. You know, any fruiting bodies, conks, mushrooms around the base of the trunk. Not a good sign. Not a good sign. That's a big red flag. So things of that nature, cracking branches or splitting trunks, leaning trees, all of those things, it's, it's pretty common sense. Now, well, when you talk about splitting trees, you know, maybe a limb that is starting to come away from the tree, but you've got those trees in your landscape maybe that have like a crotch where they're, you know, it starts with one trunk and then it branches out or V's into two. That's okay, right? That's okay in some cases. Okay. There's what uh, they call included bark yeah. and that. Uh, what that is, is it's bark pushing against bark, and they, they grow, they push against each other, and eventually they, they split up. Very common for Bradford pears. I think Ugh. we've discussed this before. Uh, uh. So there, there are healthy unions, the U unions, there's V unions. The V unions are typically the included bark um, configuration, and that's uh, another red flag. Okay. But if you've got the U-shaped, then, yeah. you're, then you're in good shape. Okay. And I always say just look up. Yeah. You know, if you're looking up at a pine tree and the needles are brown, <laughs> chances are it's dead. Yeah. Uh, if you just start seeing parts of the uh, canopy on the oak trees and maples that you got dead limbs up there and stuff like that, and probably want to get somebody to come out and take a look at it. Premier Tree Solutions, easy to find online as part of their name, chopmytree.com. If you need to see their service area, um, free estimate, free evaluation when they yes, come out of the house? Yes. Nice. And how far booked are you guys? Do you have good availability for those consultations initially? Oh, as far as consultations, I mean, we can get there within a day, typically, nice. maybe the following day. Okay. Um, workload is probably around a month. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we, if it's an emergency, we can get you worked in quicker. Yep. And yeah. right now, I know your crew is super aware of little nests falling out of trees. Yeah. I've seen some of your guys just pick up a nest and just gently move it. So uh, we as homeowners, if you're if you're having some trees taken down for aesthetics or some other reason, just be conscious that it is nesting season. But uh, I mean, 12 months out of the year, if it has to be done, it, it has to be done, That's you right. know. Look up and make sure that the trees are structurally sound and that everything in your landscape is going to be A-OK if a storm comes through. And Raphael, you just mentioned two different reasons for the death of a tree. Uh, could be disruption to the roots 
and it could be some kind of uh, insect infestation. And coincidentally enough, recent questions that I've had from Facebook followers uh, to Green and Growing WSB, the Facebook page, cover those two topics. So I wanted to ask you from Christine down on the south side. She said she has a huge old red oak, and it has carpenter ants eating it from the inside what can she do to not lose this beautiful tree? And and Raphael and Jeff, too. I think, Jeff, you said, man, when you think carpenter ants, I think red oak, that's kind of a given for what I they al- like. I always see them in mm-hmm. red oaks, really old red oaks. Mm-hmm. I don't recall that I've seen them in any other species, but maybe I have. And carpenter ants, what are we? Des- describe black that. black ones. Okay. Yeah. So I, I don't you know necessarily, I have the little tiny sugar ants in my house, but the big black carpenter ants, if they're on a tree, Raphael, gosh, what does that mean? Uh, unfortunately, carpenter ants, they're indication of decay. So there's probably some dead wood inside your tree there, uh, and they're going after it. I don't think the carpenter ants are your biggest problem. I think there's something else going on with your tree, and I think it would be worth taking a, taking a time and, and getting somebody to take a closer look. Uh, maybe there's a cavity inside your tree. I don't know where your house is, and if it's located nearby the tree, uh, that could be a threat to you in your house. So that is something someone such as yourself would, would be able to identify. You know, obviously, we don't have x-ray glasses. We can't see from the outside in of what's going on. But you know what signs to look for. You have tools and things that can really test for what's going on with the tree. That is correct. There are different different levels of assessments. Uh, one of those, the more specific is there's what's called a resistor graph. And it's pretty much we insert a needle into the tree and it's attached to the computer. Wow. Uh, that shows a graphic um image that pretty much tells you where the decay is and oh. how, how many cavities there are inside the tree. And of course, there's a threshold that once you, once you achieve that, then we determine that that tree is no longer in safe, safe conditions. Is there a way to, you know, once internal decay has started on a tree, is there a way to interrupt it or slow it down or it's just one of those processes? No. Once the, the wood is gone, it's gone. You mm-hmm. can, yeah, you can go back. All right, so that's good advice for Christine. I will follow up with her. And then talking about uh, roots. This always comes up when people are out and about more this time of year. They're mowing their lawn and they're trying to install sod or doing whatever they're doing. And, you know, trees will naturally have some of those roots above ground, right? And they can be a tripping hazard. They can be annoying. You're not really able to plant around them or put sod over them. Uh, But Lee's question to me about mature hardwoods, like I think he was referring to a sweet gum perhaps, how to cut or trim the roots that have grown above the surface. The lawnmower can't go over it anymore because it's obviously going to scalp the the root. So you've got to be super careful. But, yeah, I mean, just how does a homeowner know – which of those could be, you know, apt for root pruning and I could shave down a little bit? And which ones do I not need to touch because they're vital to holding the tree up? I'm particularly against cutting roots because I've seen what the consequences are when you cut too much of the roots. Um, unless it's absolutely necessary when it's a case of like in maple trees, they're girdling roots. Sometimes it's important for you to do some cutting there, some pruning uh, to stop the suffocation of the tree. Yeah. But in her case, unfortunately, I wouldn't cut any of those roots. Uh, I would try a different method, maybe put some mulch down and stay away. Go on the drip line of the tree and, and install some mulch down and uh, and leave the roots alone. That's my opinion. That's that's yeah. good. And just don't try to grow grass where it's yeah, not going to Yeah, just remove the grass and increase the bed around the, the base mm-hmm. of the, the tree. 
And then that way you don't have to worry about mowing it anymore and you won't run over the roots. Yeah. Yeah. If it's just absolutely necessary to have grass there for whatever reason, or maybe, you know, weeds go crazy. I mean, mulch is certainly going to help control that, but maybe the use of a weed eater rather than a a mower, that way you have better control over what the weed eater is going to damage. Yeah, absolutely. Not damage the roots. Yeah, you got to be a little patient. (laughs) For sure. Yeah, yeah. And, And practical too. You know, like I said, it's, there's nothing worse than beating your head against a wall trying to grow grass where it's just not meant to grow. And under trees is is often the case because we love our tree canopies. We love the shade they provide, but grass doesn't like that so much. Um, So when you talk about mulching, Raphael, I've always warned folks and, and all arborists do there's there's a good distance to keep mulch away from tree trunks. Now, we can go over the roots. We can go around the roots. A thick layer of mulch, folks. It, you're wasting your time if you do anything less than two to three inches in depth um, because that's going to retain the moisture. That's going to help keep the weeds away or at least suppress them to a point. But how close up to the tree, then, do we come with the mulch? Sure. Uh, what you don't want to do is you don't want to have any mulch or any dirt for that matter up against the bark of the tree. So you want to be able to see that curvature, the trunk flare. Um, like you mentioned before, if you, you can have as much mulch as you want in, on top of the roots on the ground. Just make sure you don't get it up against the bark. Good advice. Yeah, because yeah, again, mulch's job is to retain moisture. And if that moisture stays up against that root flare and the trunk of the tree, that's going to rot. It's a different type of tissue. You don't want the bark. If you touch it, you're going to see it. As you go down the trunk of the tree, you're going to see the different texture of the bark. Yeah. So that bark wasn't designed to have any type of dirt or any type of material for that matter up against it because it needs to breathe. Yeah. Following that will save you a heartache and hundreds of dollars later on down the road when you do it right the first time. That's right. 404-872-0750 in studio with Premier Tree Solutions. Chop my tree. First is Ted in Covington. Good morning. Good morning, Ashley. I heard him talking about uh, chemicals. You can control the amount of sweet ball gums or perhaps acorns. Mm -hmm. But my question is, I have a tree that I'm going to lose, and it's no real big concern whether I do or not uh, with mistletoe in it. I wonder what spreads it, what can be done, because I have other trees near my house that I am concerned about. Now, I'm glad you brought up that uh, that chemical for sweet gum balls and acorns because Elizabeth and Villarica is asking about that very thing. And you're right, Ted, our conversation about that last time these guys were in studio, that stuck with me, too. But this is a great question. And, Jeff, you mentioned mistletoe in the wintertime when the trees have no leaves. You look up and you see some kind of weird, bushy, green growth. In the summertime, it's a little harder to detect. But Ted's yeah. right. It's a parasite. Yeah, it is. And, you know, we can, if it's not too bad, we can go out and prune some of the mistletoe out. And if you have a lot of it, like the leaves are off, it's fall, it's winter, and you look up and you see green still on the tree, I mean, all over it, Mm -hmm. um, probably needs to come down. Yeah. Sometimes in the wintertime, like I was just mentioning to Jeff, the tree looks like an evergreen. (laughs) The amount of mistletoe you see in the tree is like, well, the tree is fully green there. What's wrong with it? Well, it's all mistletoe. It needs to go. So, um, you know, it's hard if you can prune it out in small amounts, have these guys come out and prune it out safely. Um, 
You know, I've read something about like covering areas with black plastic because that kind of works to prevent it from getting the light it needs to photosynthesize. But I mean, how would you even go about doing that? Y'all probably wouldn't waste your time doing that because you're like wrapping each branch. It's just not practical. Yeah. When you see mistletoe in a, in a significant amount like that, it's usually red oaks or any type of – it's mostly oaks. I, I think mostly. you're seeing in river you birches what, as river well. Birches, I did yeah. see a couple again. But mm-hmm. uh, it's just not practical to go up in a tree and do something like that. What do you think, Ted? What spray is it? I'm sorry? What? How does it spread? I, I mean – I guess How it does just, it spray it, it, it? Is it a birds and bee type thing? Does the birds spray no. it in the wall? No, it's it's inside the tree. It's a parasite. It's inside the vascular system of the tree. That's why once the tree is infected, it's going to stay in the tree. Uh, so the best you can do is to prune the infected branches and hope that the other healthy branches just don't have it. And it's going to be really tough to determine before you see mistletoe whether or not your tree has that parasite. I mean, you're just not going to sure. know until it's showing those until signs. That shows. was a good question, Ted. More great questions coming along for you next on Green and Growing on WSB. Premier Tree Solutions, the guys at ChopMyTree.com. You hear me talk about them during the week. Owner Jeff Roth, and you started the company how many years ago? I got into the business back in 2006. I bought an existing company, and then I changed the name in 2009. And Rafael Santiago on staff, certified arborist. Those certifications have, have treated you very well, sir. Yes, they have. Learned a lot and have been able to share my knowledge with a lot of people. Very yeah. happy to be here. Our earlier caller, Ted and Covington, alluded to this. And see, you guys' visits here in studio are memorable to the listeners because we did have a great conversation about a month ago. Uh, someone already fearful of those annoying sweet gum balls when that's going to become a problem and trip hazards in the yard and making that transition and the difference between the sweet gum balls, but just as annoying to some folks are acorns. So Elizabeth and Villarica with a question about that very thing. Good morning. Good morning. I have a huge oak tree. I've always heard uh, that the water oaks keep their leaves longer than normal leaves in the fall. So I think that's what it is. Some years I have an overabundance of acorns and then some years I don't have many. But is there a way to keep from having so many? Some years are different than others and uh, that varies for, for because of biotic or abiotic reasons, environmental reasons, and uh, you're going to have more acorns or sweet gums in the case of sweet gum trees. One year in particular, and then you're not going to have as many the next year. If the, the gumballs or the acorns in your case are bothering you so much, yes, the, the most effective way to deal with those is to take the tree down. Now, if you don't want to do that, alternatively, you can inject into the tree what's called a deflowering agent. Huh. And what that does is it disturbs the hormones of the trees. It will kill the flowers before they start producing. So it's it's non detrimental for the trees. Okay, it doesn't harm the trees in any ways. It's been scientifically approved uh, and it's been around for years now. It works really well. Uh, the caveat is you only have a small window uh, to get it done. It's usually in the spring, right before bud break, uh, that you can get those injectables into the trees and have uh, perfect results. So really important to go ahead and make an appointment with Premier Tree Solutions or get in touch with an arborist. Like you said, start thinking about it late winter, early spring to get that on time. That's right. Late winter, early spring. Uh, like I said, you have about five to seven days uh, in a year to get it done. Wow. So make sure you plan ahead and I will come out there and give you a quote. Yeah, it doesn't take very long to do. Right? It yeah. does not. And what, what we do is we get uh, we create a list and uh, by, the, by next year, 
I say spring. Uh, we're going to schedule everybody in the wow. same week. So it's it's a very hectic and busy week, <laughs> but we get everybody done. Um, we'll definitely keep folks uh, abreast of when that's going to happen. And now this injectable is not something that I can buy at the hardware store and do myself. Unfortunately not. And you have to drill into the tree and get the injectables into the vascular system. So it's some technical work involved. Thanks, Raphael. Questions about Leland Cypress and Ambrosia Beetle next. Stay tuned. You're listening to Green and Growing on WSB. The grass is always green around the other side. Caterpillar to a butterfly. It's Green and Growing with Ashley Frasca. Plants, flowers, trees, and stuff. Brought to you by Pike Nurseries. On 95.5 WSB. Good morning. Back to Green and Growing. And a recent show I did with ChopMyTree.com owner Jeff Roth and certified arborist Rafael Santiago, Premier Tree Solutions in studio. This is a common one, too. A lot of us have Leland Cypress in our yards and Bob and Decatur calling with a question about those. Hey there, Bob. Good morning. Good morning. What's the problem with your Lelands? They've got brown branches on two out of seven. The other five I had to take out five years ago. I had a long column of seven trees, and the ones on the outer edges are the ones that still survived. But the tallest one, that is well over 45 feet, is developing those brown branches. They're small branches, but nevertheless, I'm concerned that maybe they're infected. And paying attention to how they're browning can also be indicative of, you know, an an indication of what problem you have. So, Bob, have you noticed they're browning at the tips and then working their way in toward the trunk rather yep. than starting to brown at the trunk and then go out, right? Yeah, it looks like it always starts at the tips. Starts at the yeah. tips. Okay, so Jeff, you've seen that before. I have, uh, and I don't. I really haven't seen it as much uh, over the last several years, but I used to see it quite regularly. And I think it may be bo- what's called bot canker. And it does start on the tips and work its way into the tree. You could prune that part out and just keep uh, keep an eye on it uh, to see if it gets any worse. But it's in the tree and something triggers it to come out. Yeah. So these cankers are pretty common in those. And this from um, an extension, a UGA extension plant pathologist, a good way to tell the difference because Jeff's talking about bot canker and there's ceridium. And I don't necessarily expect you Guys, not not you all, but the listener to really be able to tell the difference. Canker just doesn't sound good. But the way you can tell the difference, run your hand across the branch of newly affected trees, like where you're starting to see that browning, Bob. And if the needles fall off, then it's ceridium canker, which is a little more serious. If the needles stay attached, then it's bot canker that Jeff is talking about. Um, a lot of times pruning them out is going to be fine, pruning those branches out, and we'll see if that's that's okay. But when you do your pruning, and this goes for a lot of things in the landscape, folks, have some kind of disinfectant with you, whether it's a diluted rubbing alcohol or some kind of cleaning solution. And in between cuts, make sure to disinfect those pruning shears before every cut or especially, you know, until or before moving to another tree. Uh, you don't want to carry any pathogen or anything like that. So pruning it out, start with that and then just make sure that that may help slow the process, Bob. Thank you. That's great advice. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. That was a good call. And also, too, if the tree is severely affected and the browning is just staying way ahead of you, best control is to remove the tree, plant with something else. Um, And guys, in the break, we talked about, you know, Jeff, folks love recommendations on this show. You know, I don't want to go with plant A, but there's got to be plant B, C, and D that could do just as well. What have you seen in the same conditions where Leland's do well um, that are just as nice? Uh, Arborvitae. 
is one, and there's several different uh, species of arborvitae. Uh, I happen to like cryptomeria. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a really cool-looking tree. And uh, maybe Diodora cedar. Oh, that's a good one, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that is if you want to keep that privacy, that, that green wall, right. like you mentioned. Yeah, those sure, are great options. And make sure it, the, the mistake is made is that when they're two feet tall, everybody plants them within a couple of feet of each other. Mm -hmm. Really should put it up at minimum maybe 10, 12 feet. Leland's get, get big fast. They do. Yeah. About a foot a year, I yeah. believe. And, and there's nothing worse for them than them being crowded into one another mm -hmm. because, again, no tree or plant, when you're thinking about shrubs as well, likes being butted up against something else because they need that airflow. They mm -hmm. need the sunlight. So it's very important. Spacing is crucial even when you're thinking about planting your vegetable garden. It's it's really no different. Proper spacing for those tomato plants. Yeah. And on evergreens like this too, Jeff, I think um, irrigation can be important because a lot of those, they don't tolerate drought very well. Like any species, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, it likes water. Yeah. And uh, another thing with uh, planting them so close together, if you know, a storm comes through, blows one over, and they're so close, um, you're going to have a big hole yeah. in the other tree. And aesthetically, it's not going to look very good. Mm -hmm. And once that um, those branches are dead inside that tree, it will never grow back. Yeah. yeah. No, that's that's a tough one. So keep that in mind, folks, too. You know, we need to listen for meteorologist Christina Edwards. If this happens to be a drought year, you know, we are familiar with them. They happen. Um, and thinking about soaker hoses or irrigation, not just for the plants on your patio and not just for your vegetable garden, but maples, Leland cypress, all kinds of things will probably need that, too. So an investment in a soaker hose is probably a good idea for drought years and just making sure if something hasn't gotten rainwater in three to five weeks, it's a good idea for us to take care of that. 404-872-0750. Good calls for Jeff Roth and Rafael Santiago of Premier Tree Solutions. Find them on the web. Very easy to make an appointment on the website. Find their coverage area. Some really good articles too. Chopmytree.com. So up next, we'll talk to Yolanda in Decatur. Good morning. Hi, how are you? Great. What's your question for these gentlemen? Well, I have two questions, not related. Um, one is, I've got a a little pomegranate tree about five feet. And the freeze caught it. It was trying to, to leaf out, and the, the freeze, that last little cold mm -hmm. spell we got, caught it. And then uh, about a week later, I noticed ambrosia. I think what I th is ambrosia. I haven't seen one. But there's little wood things coming out of the stem. Yeah, it looks like a toothpick coming out the yeah. sides of the trunk, and right? And they droop when they get longer yep. and they fall off. And I want to know if it's worth trying to save it. I mean, I've okay. never, I didn't realize that you could get stuff on um, a pomegranate. I thought it was pretty Yeah, safe. that's not one of the more common ones. And then quickly, what's your second question, too? We'll try to cover both. Uh, I wanted to know if they have a, a recommendation for a homeowner to um, find a tree trimmer with a long handle where you can cut from the ground. You don't have to climb okay. the tree. Well, let's, let's knock that one out because I think you have a quick and easy answer for that one, Jeff. Uh, yeah, there's a couple of different tools out there. You can get like a, a pole saw if you don't want to get one with an engine on it. They're just a long pole with a little curved saw on it, and you can use something like that. Um, there's different types of snips. We call it like a Jameson pole where it's okay. about a 20-foot pole. It's got a little hook on it. You go across a branch, pull on a rope, huh. and that cuts it, gives it a nice clean cut. And the homeowner can use that. Yeah. You can nice. get anywhere. I think they make them anywhere 15, 20, 25 feet at the most, probably. So a pole saw and a Jameson saw. I call it a Jameson yeah. pole, yeah. It's okay. just like a snip. 
Okay, very good. And so the ambrosia beetle, yes, uh, Raphael, Yolanda correctly identified that. It looks like toothpicks. Sawdust is what it is coming out the sides of the trunks. Uh, you don't even have to see the beetle. He's already burrowed into the tree. What does she do? Yeah, it's already there. And I think she mentioned that it's a five feet long tree. Five right? feet so tall, it's, a, yeah. it's a five feet tall. So it's a young tree. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to see it myself and uh, come up with a treatment option for you. Uh, depending on how how severe it is, uh, we might have different um, uh, different recommendations. So give us a call, please. I'll stop by. Uh, I just want to see how how bad it is and see if we can uh, save it for you. Ambrosia beetle's tough. It's really hard to treat, but it, there's a possibility depending on when in the life stage of the beetle this is happening. Raphael and, and crew can come out and look. But yeah, it's more common to see them in more susceptible trees, maybe like crepe myrtle, dogwood, even cherries and red buds. But pomegranate, that's interesting. Got my friends Jeff and Raphael from Premier Tree Solutions in the studio. How about one or two more calls, guys? Are you good? Sure, let's take it. Let's do it. Yes. Okay, we might wrap up on uh, with Kenny calling from Fayette County. Good morning, Kenny. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thanks, Ashley. Yeah. It's only been like four years planning to move this, but now it's about 15 feet tall. So, it, yeah, it's too close to the house. So I'm probably not in the right time frame to move it now. Just wanted some opinion as far as moving it. For a 15-tall Japanese maple, it seems to me like she, she's well-established as, as of now. Uh, I would be very cautious if you do decide to transplant it. Uh, I will hire some professionals and make sure you get as much of the root system as you possibly can. Jeff, you mentioned before that you know, sometimes when you transplant it, it's good to do some pruning on the tree. That's right. So some of the branches in the tree will need to be pr- pruned as well. So, yeah, but just def- to take a little more stress off of the That's tree. That's right. And definitely hire a professional that really knows what they're doing. Kenny could probably go ahead and knowing where he may want to transplant it, get that hole dug. Get that get area that ready, yep, and prepped and all that. That way when the company comes out, a professional kind of mover, so to speak, can just drop the tree literally from where it was into the new hole, right? Right. That's correct. Talk about the importance, though, of getting, I mean, of course, you're never going to get 100% of the roots, Raphael, but like you said, as much as you can, what does that do for the tree as it's being kept intact into a new hole? Sure. The most important part of the root system is the outer roots, you know, the, the surface roots and outer roots. That's why it's important to get as much as you possibly can. Uh, the drip line t- typically uh, represents the entire root system and the drip line for those who don't know, uh, it's the outer edges of the, your canopy. So you can pretty much just mirror it down and you're going to have a projection of what the canopy extension is. So if you can get that far, and trust me, it's going to be a lot of dirt yeah. <laughs> and, and roots that you're going to be transplanting. That's why it's a lot of work yeah. to do so. If you can get as much as possible, that's part of the best management practices there for transplanting any trees for that matter. So as wide and as long as the branches are, like you said, just kind of go straight down. And that's probably as far out as the roots are Correct. Yeah. Wow. Yes. That is a, oh, goodness, Kenny, that's a big job for you, my man. Good luck. Um, hopefully we'll we'll hear from some people who, hey, I can come down to Fayette County and move Kenny's tree or maybe buy it from you and put it in their there landscape. Kenny, yeah, good luck. One last question I think we have time for, and this is one that uh, you all have had on the show before, is water sprouts or suckers that come up from crepe myrtles or you know anything else, maybe pear trees, Bradford pears from time to time. Beneficial to prune those out, leave them, what do you do? In my opinion, it's irrelevant. You can print them out. It's unsightly, so you can get rid of them. Rotter sprouts are commonly known as suckers. They usually come out when there's a, when there's some stressing factor into the tree. So there's something wrong with it. It could be a lack of water. It could be an insect. 
any type of damage to the trunk or branches. There's something wrong with the trees, just like us getting fever. So by removing the suckers or the water sprouts, you're not going to eliminate the problem. You're just going to make the tree look better. Yeah. If you let it go over time, you know, up against a crepe myrtle and you have all these suckers and they'll grow to be three, four feet tall, eventually that will become a tree with a large trunk and it's going to kind of outcompete the tree that it's growing next to. That's correct. Sometimes when it gets to that point, it's it's best to prune them. Yeah, absolutely. And there are products like a pike nursery and such that uh, may be called sucker stopper and things like that, that if you are just in over your head with these water sprouts, that that can help control it a little bit. But yeah, staying on top of that pruning, that's good advice. Uh, well, Jeff, one more time, how can folks get in touch with all of you for not only tree removal, but tree health questions and all kinds of things? Sure, they can reach us at uh, chopmytree.com or the phone number 404 252 Four four eight. Perfect. Rose will be happy to take their call in the office. Well, you'll see the trucks and the equipment and the crews of Premier Tree Solutions, ChopMyTree.com around Metro Atlanta. And also visit ChopMyTree.com to see coverage areas when we return. The top three things to do in the landscape this weekend and this upcoming week, if you don't get around to it sooner. I'm Ashley Frasca. It's green and growing. Stay tuned to WSB. Planning to hear more from you in hour number three of Green and Growing as well from our friends at Pike Nursery. You can find all of their 15 Atlanta area locations easily at pikenursery.com. Green, Green and Growing. Ashley Frasca's top three things to do this weekend. All right, we spoke recently with Pike Nurseries last week, as a matter of fact, about long-blooming perennials, daylilies, coneflowers, hostas, and shasta daisies, and even heuchera or coral bells. Plant all of those things now, and ajuga is a good perennial flowering ground cover. Number two, fertilize roses and azaleas now to encourage a second bloom and continue feeding them on schedule throughout the month of June. And a reminder, too, go ahead and deadhead some of your rose bushes as well. Easy to just go to the base of the expired flowers and keep those trimmed off. It'll look a lot neater. And number three, it is not too late to plant okra, pepper plants, lima beans, and sweet potatoes in the garden. Marge, I think I've got a quick minute to get your question about hydrangeas. Well, my son gave me a potted hydrangea, beautiful for, for Mother's Day, and it's in a 10-inch pot. First of all, will it be all okay in a pot for a while, or do I need to replant it? It depends on if it's a florist hydrangea or if it actually is, like, from a nursery. Do you know what type it is? No, it came from Home Depot. So oh, okay. where that tells anything. Yeah, so it's that is a- not a florist hydrangea. Okay. Um, it depends. I would look at the label. It's okay to stay in the pot for a little bit. When you plant it this time of year, the temperature is only going to get warmer. So you really need to be very conscious, uh, conscious once you do put it in the ground. Keeping it watered at the base is going to be so important. And keeping some mulch around it, too, to kind of keep the temperature a little bit lower and the moisture in the soil. But look at the label. Figure out what type it is. Because, you know, we've got mop head, the big ones that have the big uh, blue, fluffy, mop head type shape blooms, lace cap, an oak leaf, a panicle. It's going to bloom a little bit later, but it's going to have like grape cone shaped blooms. A lot of them really can uh, can tolerate full shade, but like the mop head, which is the most common type, needs a little more sun. Um, so sun and dappled shade is going to be ideal. Just look at the label and determine what type you have. Happy belated Mother's Day. That was a great gift. Good for him. 